welcome to... (laughs) (laughs) All right. Get it out. It was actually really easy doing the podcast last night at a bar. Yeah. We should do, like, all of our episodes at a bar. Um... Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. This is your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. Woo! Yeah. Welcome back to another one of our uh, research-heavy episodes. Not so... Not, not that heavy. No. I mean, a little bit. I did a Wikipedia. Yeah. Well, we're not in a bar. That's true. We're not... And I've only had two beers... Yeah, two beers this time. Yeah, so we're fine. We're all good. And I'm just drinking tea, which you might hear in the background. Sorry, just guys. Slurping away. Just slurping away. What kind of tea is it? Um, that is some tea that my friend Tim brought me from India. Thanks, what, Tim. What just? I I can't remember. Okay, I can't remember. But it's great. <laughs> but I love it. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Um. So yeah, today we are gonna do. Bath versus Brussels. Yes. And that's not going to be boring, as boring as it sounds. It's going to be fun. I think it sounds like the most exciting episode we've ever done. Yeah. Or have planned. Yeah. This is we, This is us peaking. <laughs> so after this episode, no need to listen to this podcast any longer. This unless, is it. Unless you just want to hear the sound of our careers being flushed down the toilet. Oh, no. Just I... flushing away. Okay. All right. Well, we can do this. We got this. Yeah. Um, okay. I love Bath. I actually spent my honeymoon in Bath. Remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I was there. We hung were there. Yeah. That's weird. I know, right? We are such good friends. We are. Um, yeah, I went to um, the Jane Austen Center. Mm-hmm. And I stayed at, what was that place called? It was like, it had like an adorable name. Like it was... Um, called like the unicorn and the dragon or something. It was like a hotel pub. I do, I do not know. It was great. Anyway, loved it. Had a great time in Bath. I thought it was a great place. Yeah. Jane Austen didn't think it was a great place. So. It was fine. Okay. We'll talk about it. All right. Cool. I guess I'll talk about it. Yeah, you'll tell yeah. me. You'll tell me all about it. So, uh, first off, I'd like to make it very clear that while there is a lot to say about Jane Austen and Bath and how it appears in her writing, uh, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion in particular, today is not going to be that day. And I'm so sorry. But that's mainly just because we're going to talk about those books in other episodes. And I don't want to use up all of that good, I was good shit. Yeah, no, exactly. Same applies to the Brontes. Um, Charlotte, especially the professor and Valette, like, that's all Brussels, mm-hmm. and we are going to do episodes totally dedicated to that, so you guys gotta wait for it. But I mean, this stuff's pretty good. Yeah. It's fine. So I'm gonna tell you very quickly, again, just in case you didn't hear, I think it was in the intro episode, uh, I studied at Bath Spa University. Mm-hmm. I'm currently doing my uh, master's at Bath Spa University because I refuse to leave, uh, and <laughs> I uh, once worked at the Jane Austen Centre, so I know like a bit about Bath. Um, I prefer living in Bristol. I've got, I've got to be honest. Oh. Uh, something really interesting about Bath is that it is um, a world heritage site, uh, which you can only become if you're very boring but lo- nice looking. I think that's the t- 
the checkbox. Like they come and they look at the place and then they say, very nice, little dull. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it's just, there's so much like Roman stuff and Georgian stuff. Oh, I that you can it. like, you can still, yeah, it's it, like, it's really good. It's great for like two days on my honeymoon. Mm-hmm. But in the summer, yeah. like, I understand why there are so many tourists because it's a really good place to go as a tourist to go and see all of the Roman and the Georgian stuff. But yeah. like, as someone living there, you just can't go into the city center. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Cannot be done. Um, there's So there's a really good place called Sally Lund's Bun Shop that if you've never been to Bath, you should go to. And it's this, like, old building. Um, I can't remember when it was made, but they've been doing, like, afternoon tea and, like, buns for hundreds of years. And if you go into the basement, they've cut out so that you can see the levels of this building, like, the medieval layer, the Roman layer, like, the Georgian layer. It's really good. That's really cool. And the buns are great. I just, every time you say buns, though, like, I giggle <laughs> a little bit because it's just buns. Well, just listen. Buns. It's, it's very serious, actually. <laughs> very serious part of the talk oh okay buns uh, I used to work at the Jane Austen Centre yeah that was pretty good um, I personally I think that it's the people that work at the Jane Austen Centre that make it tip top interesting mm-hmm. because certainly when I was an employee everyone had like their own interests and you were really encouraged when you because like someone will sit in the exhibition to make sure that people have um, somebody to ask questions to. Mm-hmm. And because you're meant to be like knowledgeable, you are expected to spend that time reading uh, her books, but not just her books, reading around the subject. So I read cover to cover her the book of her letters mm-hmm. while I worked there. Um, I read essays about her work. I reread her books, I think a couple of times while I worked there. I did like embroidery, you know, it, yeah. for for so someone, you're like, you're like deep in it. I wasn't that deep into it when I like I knew like I knew I loved her books and I'd read mm-hmm. them a lot when I was a kid, um, but it kind of gave me the time and space and the excuse to just really like really get in there quite heavily. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I'm more of a fan actually having worked at the Jane Austen Centre than I was before I worked there. They have a good bookshop too. Yeah, I enjoy the shop. Yeah, the shop's good. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, it's good. I just, it's hard because obviously it was my job. And so it's like, you don't want to do the gift shop shift, but you do want to, like, I really liked doing the talks. Mm -hmm. And then my problem was that every talk is meant to be 12 minutes long, I think. And my talks were like 18 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Because you've got to try and get people like kind of through there. So that they can actually see the exhibition. And like, no one wants to go and sit in a stuffy room, especially in the summer. You know, like, you want to just go and, like, try on the dresses and the bonnets and you want to watch the videos and try the the cakes and stuff. So, you know, yeah, I do understand. and the buns are important as well. My talks were pretty funny. They were all right. I enjoyed them. You went, Yeah, you came and watched. Yeah, I did. We've said all this. <laughs> okay, so there are actually no letters surviving from Jane Austen's five years living in Bath. She lived there from 1801 to 1806 and because a lot of the information that we have about her life came from her letters to her sister, mm-hmm. they were pretty much just together. Or the ones that were written at that time were destroyed. Okay. So there were a few that were sent, um, like, before she left. Uh, well, so Jane was Jane went to Bath in 1801 uh, in May with her mum to try and find somewhere for them to live. And 
there's just a few letters from this period. And the very first one she wrote saying, I have the pleasure of writing up uh, writing from my own room up two pair of stairs with everything very comfortable about me. And she was staying at her uncle Lee Parrott's house on Par- number one Paragon Street. Okay. So that's pretty good. Uh, the reason, the reason that they actually ended up moving to Bath was because, do you remember? Because of something about her father, right? Yeah. Which is very interesting, which is going to come up again later in the episode. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Something. What? That you've got something. Yeah. Because it's like, there's a nice parallel there. Oh shit. I've got a parallel too. Oh my God. Ah, parallels with parallels. So... Jane Austen's dad was a clergyman at Steventon, mm-hmm. but he had to retire so that James, the oldest, could become the reverend at Steventon. And so in 1801, George Austen Sr. was like, I'm going to retire. We're going to move. James is going to move in. Now, James's wife, Mary, was just like, get out. <laughs> I'm moving in. She was very bossy. The family didn't like her very much. So it's like this whole hassle. And for Jane, who didn't want to move to Bath in the first place, that would have ticked her off mm-hmm. massively. And the family legend is that uh, Jane Austen fainted when she heard the news. Oh. Yeah. Dramatic. And like, I mean, think about it. It's, she's, in her, she's in her mid-twenties. And like, I think, what, she was 26 and Cassandra was 27? Yeah, they one or two years apart, I always forget. But yeah. And so they've grown up in this family home and, like, the time has finally come. It's like, you know, yeah. after all this time. So the Austin parents decided to live in Bath, which was a really, like, popular city in the winter. Now, Bath probably smelt really bad in the summer because it's in a natural valley and sewer, sewerage. Okay. The smell of poop. Just Yeah, yeah. It a problem back then. Exactly. I think in my notes it says... Um, the, the air was stagnant and it just smelled of shit. Mm. So you can feel free to beat that out. <laughs> and, you know, but on top of that, it was also beginning to lose its shine a little bit. So it had been okay. super popular. It was like one of the trendier places to go. It's not quite as trendy as London, but mm. it was really popular when her mum was a young woman. But by the time, uh, by the time Jane gets there, it's kind of like a retirement village. Oh, almost. so it's like going to Florida. Well, I I've never been to Florida. Oh, well, I mean, that's where, like, people go to retire in the States. And is that because it was super trendy when those people were younger, and now they're moving there because they're old and they can finally do it? Or that's some other reason, I guess. It's it's complicated. Florida's complicated for Americans. Okay. <laughs> it's another <Hi>. podcast. <laughs> Uh, in Persuasion, Anne Elliot thinks with horror of a summer spent amid the white glare of Bath. So you can get like a sense of it would have just been like hot and all of the buildings were pale yeah. and everyone was just superficial. There's this thing about um, Georgian architecture where it was all about the facade. Mm-hmm. Just all of it was. And I think that's one of the really interesting parallels with persuasion. I'm talking about persuasion, aren't I? You can't stop it. You can't well, help it, though. Just, you know, it's all about the appearance of wealth. It's all about things right. looking lovely and keeping up appearances. Mm-hmm. But the the back end of it is just not it's not what it seems mm-hmm. so the fashionable lot uh, the fashionable portion of society had actually started moving to Brighton at this point because the Prince Regent had built his pavilion oh. and, uh, so you're, you're not getting the posh people in Bath you're then. not getting okay. like 
the super fashionable You're not getting people. the top tier people. No, you're not. Okay. And uh, in a letter uh, in on the 8th of January, 1799, Jane Austen said, I assure you that I dread the idea of going to Brighton as much as you do, but I am not without hopes that something may happen to prevent it. So I think she disliked Brighton even more than she liked Bath. And we can assume that the reason that they went to Bath specifically with the two girls was... To get a ring on the finger. Oh, to put a ring on it. Yeah. yeah well, we need sure. to we need to get these girls hitched. They're, they're getting old. Yeah. You know, they were from a small country community. Like if they're not gonna if they've not found someone yet, like gotta get on it. And so Bath yeah. would have given them an opportunity to mix in much broader, like groups of people, mm-hmm. like just more opportunities to see and be seen and hopefully throw them in the way of a man. And it was during the years that she lived in Bath, not in Bath itself, it was on a visit to this guy's house, his family's home, but it was during these years that she was proposed to by um, a guy called Harris Bigwither. I love Harris Bigwither's name. Was it 1802? 1804? I had it, it was in my notes, I got rid of it. Okay, so it's like, it was in this five year period. Right. (laughs) I right. think it was 1802 or 1804, but it might be 1803. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely wasn't 1801 and definitely wasn't 1806. There we go. So there you go. That narrows it down. So, um, like I said, she went to Bath uh, with her mum before everyone else got there. They stayed with her uncle. And then they finally settled on staying in a place called Four Sydney Place. And it was kind of the moving to Bath that began this trickier relationship Uh, with writing for Jane Austen. She revised Northanger Abbey. It was called Susan at the time. She sold it to a publisher in 1803. She sold it for £10. And she began Mm. writing a book called The Watsons in 1804. And The Watsons is the story of a clergyman with four daughters. He's got this failing health. And Anne, the youngest, had actually been raised by a wealthy aunt. And the aunt gets married... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because she remarries, they send Anne back to the family. Now, this is that thing that I'm obsessed with with Jane, Jane Austen's writing. It's the idea of people being sent to live with wealthier friends of the family or wealthier relatives, and they get accustomed to a way of life. They're educated in a particular way. They have opportunities that their siblings don't. And then chance or misfortune take them back to that family home and they find that they are altered beyond you know mm-hmm. like they're they're unaccustomed like they're ill-equipped for the life that they should actually be leading right that's what happens in Mansfield Park uh it's what uh Catherine Morland's mum worries about in Northanger Abbey when she comes home from Bath she's like oh gosh you've got there's like this book that she gets given it's something like the evils of young women being shown this way of life and mm-hmm. so it's happening in the Watsons as well but we think it might have actually been a little bit too close to home because she stopped writing it Okay. And as we know, uh, both of her parents actually experienced pretty bad health while they were there. Mm-hmm. So her mum her mom was seriously ill. Her dad was seriously ill. Her dad died very suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, and her, like, while she was living there as well, one of her closest friends, um, Mrs. Anne Lefroy, his name you might recognise. Yep. Relative of... Uh, what's his name? Not Thomas. <laughs> I was going to make a funny joke and just say the name of the guy that played him in the film. Oh, um, <sighs> God, why did his, uh, James McAvoy? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That film. 
Let's film. rewatch that because that we're is gonna, like yeah, we're gonna have a long talk some serious, about that. There's some serious historical facts in there. But you know, Anne Hathaway's accent is spot on. Is it? No. Okay. No. So you know, family's poor health. Everyone's dying. She's not very happy, and also they're very busy. Like. Mm-hmm. They would have been expected to go out a lot and to visit people and to go shopping and to go to balls and to go to concerts. And Jane Austen liked living in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, Doing they, things at her own pace. At her own pace. They kept moving. Like, they lived in so many different properties. There was so much going on that it just, it was really affecting her writing. Mm-hmm. And then her dad died. Uh, her dad died of, we think, a chest infection very suddenly on January the 21st, 1805. Um we know that like some of the properties that they lived in like super damp mm-hmm. and really crap so they had the the damp as they, they say on homes under the hammer no one a says lot. the damp they totally do i don't believe that martin the host says the damp all the time that's weird so um i would like to say that bath can be blamed for offing jane austen's dad <laughs> that's what i wrote um at this point this is a thing that i think you're going to find interesting mm-hmm. they lost their money the austen girls yeah would have to have considered whether or not they were going to become governesses. Oh. That would have been a prospect for them. Yeah, absolutely. Because where else were they getting money from? Yeah, for sure. Luckily, the Austin parents had a lot of sons. And so those guys all chipped in and they managed to get about £600 a year, which wasn't far off what George Austin was earning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they sorted it out. Um, I do wonder, like, how different her books would have been if she had had to go... And work as a governess with yeah. her sister. Like, would she have kept writing? Because the fact that she kind of was writing a lot less. Well, in, you know what? In Bath and then. I mean, a governess, um, I think they typically worked a 17 hour day. Yeah. So, you know, pro- probably not, to be honest. And yeah, I just, I feel weird saying it, but sorry, Austin fans. There are bonus points to the Brontes for sucking it up, getting on with it and just writing regardless of their situation yeah because i think in a lot of ways um life is maybe a bit tougher a little bit and they still wrote some books. they didn't write mm-hmm. as many books so you know fine. it's true it's true they but didn't like, write they as many wrote. yeah and jane is pretty good so yeah oh wow so shortly after the dad died the dad george my mm-hmm. lovely george uh they moved to 25 gay street now 25 gay street is uh, now a dentist's office oh you cannot go inside but Unless you're getting your teeth drilled. Well, yeah, you can. But if you, like, you have to get a procedure. I don't think they like it if people just go and sit in the waiting room. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've tried. Was this her bedroom? Uh, It's just a few doors away from the Jane Austen Centre. So actually that is a joke that I've told maybe a thousand times in my life. (laughs) Um, Gay Street was pretty good. So Gay Street's just on the ascent. Like, you go up the hill. And then you're oh, at yeah. the, the thing. There are a lot of hills. What's the thing? The circle? The crescent? The, the crescent. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's on the crescent. It's just mm-hmm. by Queen Square. Okay. So, it's like, an, it's a nice-ish spot. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, theatre nearby. And then they ended up moving to Trim Street in 1806. But you know what's really cool about when they worked, uh, worked lived in Gay Street that I forgot to say? Hmm. That is when Jane Austen's friend Martha moved in. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a pretty nice, like, way to round off this shitty time that they lived yeah. in Bath. It's like, Martha Lloyd, she moves in, and then it's just the two Cassandras and Martha and Jane hanging out in rubbish Trim Street that nobody wanted to live in. 
and uh, and then in 1806 they moved to Southampton for a bit and then in 1809 they moved to Chawton and that is another story that's like when shit gets real yeah 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 that's when it pops off son oh all right yeah I mean pops off not really because like if you think about it she's had her marriage proposal yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, writing-wise... Writing-wise. Writing-wise, it's it pops serious. up. But she kind of settles down in Chawton. Okay. Like, because she's secure, you know? Yeah, yeah, Well, this is interesting, too, because I feel like, you know, I'm about to talk about Brussels, and it's very similar in a way, because there's, like, this weird period of time where they're working things out, and shit's blowing up, and then they come back, and then shit gets serious. Mm-hmm. So, they, you know... I feel like this period of their lives is very, very, very similar. And it's so important because, like, you do see so much of it in the books. Like, Mm -hmm. undoubtedly. And I think I really love the fact that she was... She didn't write it when she lived there, but she's heavily revising Northanger Abbey. Like, while she's there. Like, you can only imagine, like, how much of, like, just life experience is going into it at that point. Right. So... And that yeah. whole bath lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like, we were just watching the Lucy Worsley um, special. And what is it called? Like, Behind Closed Doors? No, it's that's a different one. There's so many. But it's about Jane, Aust- Jane Austen at home. And um, she was talking about, like, her schedule. Like, you know, waking up, having tea, accepting visitors, going shopping. Like, evening, yeah. you know, events. It's just, like, sort of nonstop. Although it does sound like the lifestyle that, like, I really aspire to. <laughs> I really aspire to just, like, chilling out at home. Yeah. Like, Chawton. Chawton lifestyle. You want Chawton? Like, I, I, I kind of want a bath lifestyle. I want to uh, have visitors. I want to go shopping. I want to go to the theatre in the evening. I want to hang out in my house playing the tomb, the new, the remake of the Tomb Raider games. But, mm-hmm. like, a third one would be good. Like, Tomb Raider, the new Tomb, Ra- Tomb Raider 3. Uh-huh. I can't talk. I want to do that. And then, but maybe I'll have, like, a live stream. So then oh. it's like, I'm um, like, uh, mom, uh, it's my my job, actually. Uh, <laughs> I have 25,000 viewers. Um, I could never live stream a video game because I'm rubbish. And then my mum and, like, maybe my sister and my best mate do the cleaning. They cook oh, food yeah. and stuff. And then sometimes when they go on holiday, I'm like, I guess I should do some chores. And then I write letters saying, I really appreciate what you do. Because that's, that's what happened. That's what happened yeah. to Charlie. Except Jane Austen didn't waste her time doing useless video games right right she like did something with her life so oh i could take up knitting again yeah yeah i can always do that I, yeah i just make knitting is not an equivalent of writing like six <laughs> best-selling novels i'm gonna stop lauren it's your turn to talk all right i'm gonna talk about brussels but actually before i talk about brussels i want to talk a little bit about how they get to brussels um so in 1830 patrick their father became ill with a very serious chest infection. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. These guys need to wear scarves. I know, right? So um, Charlotte was 14 at the time, and Patrick was like, oh, God, this could be it. This could be the end of me. You need to go to school and train to become a governess. So uh, this is the period of time where, you know, Charlotte and all the kids are at home and they're playing their D&D, they're doing their juvenilia, and uh, they're really having a great time together with tiny their young soldiers, men's tiny yeah. books, tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny books. Um, so she has to leave her tiny books at home Good. and go to school. So she goes to the school in uh, Ro- called Rowhead in Mirfield. And this is um, a nice school, a nicer school than what she went to earlier, not the one mm-hmm. that's the inspiration for Lowood. 
this is basically sort of like a finishing school for daughters of like the upper middle class. So a lot of mill owners daughters are there. Um, the curriculum is very focused on accomplishments. So your music, your sewing, painting, but there's also French, grammar, geography, math, um, maths, as you guys say. Maths, yeah. Yeah, with what, um, what accomplishments would you have? Oh, God. No, I, they've all gone away. Like, the bloom is just, is off. Do you reckon? But, like, in yeah. your heyday, I think oh, I would Oh, in my been, heyday, I was quite accomplished. I would have been good at needlepoint. Oh. I think. Mm-hmm. And um, sketching. I would have done, like, yeah. funny caricatures. That yeah. would be my... Oh, darling Hannah, she does, she does marvellous caricature. Oh, yes. I was, uh, I was good at that when I was in art school. I've lost it now. I'm talking about, like... If I lived 200 years ago. Oh, if you lived 200... I mean, music. Yeah. I used to be quite the singer. Oh, there you No longer. Mm-hmm. Piano. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do a bit of needle pointing. Yeah. Yeah, some sketching. Yeah. Actually, maybe I, I would have been better at that time. I think I would have been able to spit rhymes in Latin. <laughs> That's right. Tune in for a future episode when I attempt to spit rhymes in Latin. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Charlotte actually, um, excelled at all of them, of course. Of course. Because she's, like, wildly smart. Um, she did have a rocky start at the school. So girls made fun of her because she had this, like, really old-fashioned hairstyle. Because she's just, like, you know, cooped up at the parsonage. She doesn't really Mm -hmm. know anything about clothes or, you know. She has these, like, shabby homemade dresses. And she's got this Irish accent. And, um... She also, like, she was nearsighted, and she'd, like, read, like, with the books, like, right up to her face. Sorry, I'm covering my face, and that's affecting the audio. I don't know what's going What am I doing? But anyway, so she she was kind of odd, and um, people, you know, made fun of her. But she actually kind of quickly won them over because she would tell them ghost stories at night and um, really entertain the kids. Like, so they all, you know, started liking Charlotte. And also her teachers loved her because she was super dedicated to her studies. She was a really hard worker. In fact, she finished the program in 18 months. Okay. And she received a medal. They're what, like, what they're medal? Like, they gave her like a little medal. They're like, you're a great student. We love you. Here is a medal. Did she give it back because the gold started rusting? Ba-dum-dum, dum current affairs. <laughs> Do you get that? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know how my husband is. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, she, you know, it's like that time, actually, I was so good in history in, like, seventh grade that they actually just gave me a plaque, my, my teacher, my history teacher. Oh. Yeah. No one else got a plaque. I was like, did you just, like, go have this made for me? Awesome. I got, like, a book voucher when I was 16, because I got the highest grades for a girl in my sixth form college. For a girl. For a girl. Well, they gave one to a boy as well. Okay. Um, like, boy and a girl. Or, or just or just a girl. They're like, oh, you're so good at you're this so for a girl. But I got like I got high grades in like rubbish subjects like art and media studies. Mm. He, he got really good grades in there uh, like physics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even take physics. But I read like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and stuff. Like I bought yeah. weird books with that, and like it turned me into, you know, it did you good. Yeah, yeah. Look me now. Yeah, I know. I know, right? Um. So yeah. So anyway, she goes home with her medal. And um, the next year, she's invited back to actually become a teacher. 
So Charlotte decides she's going to return to Rowhead to teach. And then as part of her um, tuition, or sorry, as part of her salary, uh, one of her sisters can go to school there. That's And they will cover the tuition. So because Emily is next, um, Emily is the one that goes ahead and goes to Rowhead. Emily only lasts three months (laughs) because she's Emily. She does not want to be there. She does not want to be around people. She wants to be at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is when Charlotte writes home to Patrick and says, you know, I'm afraid that if Emily stays here, she's going to die. And so Emily gets sent back and Anne takes her place. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte hated it there. She hated teaching. I mean, say this the, was... Say the poem. That's so good. The poem... Where is the poem? Anne didn't enjoy being at Rowhead either, and so she said, um, This place of solitude and gloom must be my dungeon and my tomb. No hope, no pleasure can I find. I am grown weary of my mind. I was getting to that, but you did a beautiful job oh, reading sorry. it. No, you're fine. You're fine. We're reading, I'm reading your notes as we go. <laughs> <laughs> and, um wrote a lot about dungeons. She actually has a, a poem called like Voice from the Dungeon, I think. And I really like it. But yeah, Anne was miserable there. Charlotte was miserable there. Like, they didn't care for it. Um, But Anne and Charlotte were very dedicated to like, you know, like, listen, we got to get a job. We got to do this. So they were, Anne also was a great student. And she also um, finished early and got a medal. So yeah, it was all exciting. Um, Let's see here. So Charlotte and Anne return home where Emily is there working as a housekeeper. And uh, Branwell, in the meantime, just to update you on Branwell, he was sort of like bouncing around between jobs. Uh, He was, you know, dad was trying to teach him all the classics in Latin so he could be a tutor, possibly. Branwell is like, oh, I also want to be a painter. But, you know, he's not He's not quite there yet. He's not very good. It's like him and Cassandra just like need to open up like the... I wish they'd been friends. Right? They could have gotten like hitched. I, th- I think Aww. Cassandra's too good for Brenna. Yeah, I think so too. Um, one of, I was just reading this book and they were trying to describe Branwell and they were saying that he was about 5'3", but he had this like big red pompadour that he would like <laughs> puff up to give himself like at least three or like four extra... Yeah, inches. Yeah. Branwell just sounds like the most... Re- ridiculous person he is he can't get it together sort it out oh he can't so he's like trying to be a painter and then he's like no 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 i want to be a poet now i want to be a poet and they're just like all right whatever branwell um but yeah uh charlotte comes back home and you know her and branwell kind of like you know they're on and off again sort of besties and she's like yeah you know i want to be a poet too so let's write some new poetry and let's like send it off to some famous authors. Mm-hmm. So Branwell sends off some work to William Wordsworth and Charlotte uh, wrote to Robert Salvi. Now, uh, Wordsworth never responded to Branwell. <laughs> <laughs> but Salvi actually responds to um, Charlotte three months later. So I-, I kind of wonder if he saw some promise there or what the, you know, what the deal is. But um he sends this letter back to her that says literature cannot be the business of a woman's life and it ought not to be the more she is engaged in proper duties the less leisure she will have for it even as an accomplishment and a recreation 
So, um, yeah. He's kind of a dick. Yeah. I think. He's not wrong though, is he? <laughs> get 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 him out. Get the women out of writing. Get them out. Out of my space. I lady. want to do a Branwell podcast only. <laughs> <laughs> If you have a Branwell podcast, please contact oh gosh, us at Bonnets at Dawn. I'd be so interested in listening to that. I I absolutely would. I feel yeah. like every day of my life I'm listening to a Branwell podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he is every man. Oh, God. Yeah, so Saldi, I, I do wonder, because like, based on his response, like, if her poetry was good and he was just like, and he was threatened. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, why else respond? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Just, you know, otherwise just like, ugh, another fan, another, ugh, whatever, who cares? But he's just like, no, you get back in the kitchen. Yeah. Do not do this. So, um, Charlotte has a response and I honestly, you know, I'm not quite sure how to read this. Um, I've heard many interpretations of this. that It was like sarcastic or that she sort of took it to heart. Um, but she says, you know, I have endeavored not only to attentively... Only a, oh, you might need to read this in a, a British accent in a Northern accent. I can't do that. Okay. Oh, she keep right. telling me she's got an Irish accent. That's true. <laughs> uh, so I'll just do it in mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have endeavoured not only attentively to observe all the duties a woman ought to fulfil, but to feel deeply interested in them. I don't always succeed. For sometimes, when I'm teaching or sewing, I would rather be reading or writing, but I try to deny myself. I trust I shall never more feel ambitious to see my name in print. If the wish should arise, I'll look at your letter and suppress it. Yeah. That's definitely sarcasm. Okay. All That's right. That's definitely sarcasm. Okay. Because, so in Middlemarch, there's this whole thing, like, Dorothea is like, I'm so pious. I don't want any jewellery. And then mm-hmm. her sister's like, don't you want any of this jewellery? It's really nice. And she's like, okay, maybe just this bit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I think, again, that was uh, George Eliot's way of being like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it is like sort of knowing how she carries on, but I do think it did get to her. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. probably like, yeah, like when, when someone hurts your feelings and you just yeah. come back with a, just like a, okay, yeah, fine. It's like, um, if they were on Twitter, I can only imagine like what this conversation would be. But screw him. Cause I've never even heard of him and I'm reading Jane Eyre for the first time in my late twenties and it's great. <laughs> Is guy. he really good? I, he's supposed to be. I've actually avoided his work since. Ooh. I know. I think oh, he's, he qualified? I think he's famous in your anything? country. You know what? No. But I'm going to loudly type so that you know that I am Googling this man. Get a go. He's an English poet. Yeah. Oh, he's a. He's not bad looking. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually hoping that he would be an uggo, but he's actually... An uggo. No, no, no. Just, I mean... That's bad. That looks okay, that one's not good. Is that a photo? Actually, you know what? You know, Jeremy Northam would play him in the in the movie about his life, I feel. A younger <laughs> Jeremy Northam. You just know, like, every British actor. I do. It's just the business of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah, he in you the see crown? It there? Is he in yeah, there? he's in the crown. Yeah, look at yeah. him here. Look at this young yeah, one. Yeah, it's a him. young... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he was... He was doing it for me back in the day. That's pretty good. Look at his specs. Oh, look, it's me. He's Mr. Knightley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make this uh, the Salvi movie. Yeah. 
Let, and, it's, uh, and it's played by Jeremy Northam. But then in our version, he falls in love with Charlotte Bronte. No, Charlotte Bronte, like, she doesn't need to be validated by him. I, I want to watch. I want to. I want to watch a film which is just about them exchanging these letters, and mm-hmm. then him just being like, "Oh shit, this girl's really good." Oh, he's having like a meltdown, <laughs> like just ripping off his own work, tossing it into the fire. Like, I am shit. I'm rubbish. I'm no good. He's like covering himself in paint. He's just so lucky that he did not have this exchange with Emily. Because <laughs> she would have punched <laughs> him and his dog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She would have come for him. But, you know, Charlotte was a little bit more refined. So, um, after this whole, like, Sally situation, she actually does return to Rowhead, um, where she then, like, writes home in a letter, um, Am I to spend the best part of my life in this wretched bondage? Oh, I know. And I can't tell you like how many times I've been there. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, I mean, just, this is, this is really, I really relate to this period of their lives because like, I mean, my God, well, you know, you know, this life <laughs> trying to, <laughs> we're trying to be, we're trying to write and we're constantly doing other jobs. I can't tell you how many other industries I've worked in while I've tried to write stuff on the side. So like I've worked in, like I've worked in advertising. I've been a librarian. I've done, I've worked in museum education. I've done so many things. So because I have been a cleaner. I worked in car insurance and now I am a waitress. <laughs> But also but yeah. a grad student. So yeah, that's exactly. what you know. Exactly. I always, when people are like, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, I work in a restaurant. And then afterwards, I'm like, I meant I'm doing this full time yeah. degree yeah. as well. Exactly. You're doing but, yeah. a degree and you're writing several books. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. And I think I've just been there so many times, like in my cube, like, is this ever going to work out for me? We and, should you know, make that t-shirt. If you think we should make a t-shirt that says, am I to spend all the best part of my life in this wretched bondage? Tweet at us. Yes. And I will write on a t-shirt with a Sharpie and then post it to you. Hashtag wretched bondage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We will do it, guys. (laughs) Probably. I just need three people to to say they want one. Um, So, yeah, uh, for the next couple years of Charlotte's life, uh, she spends, you know, her time bouncing around from job to job. So, again, you know, she's jumping... From advertising to museum education to, well, you know, no, just from teaching to teaching to teaching, basically. Um, Emily also has to get in the fray. So she starts teaching. Um, That doesn't go very well, guys, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Branwell starts his portrait studio. Uh, That fails. And then he decides to teach. Anne finds a job as a governess, which we'll talk about in depth in future podcasts because that's, uh, you know, that heavily influences her work. And um, then Charlotte is like, well, maybe I should be a governess instead of a teacher. So she gives that a go. But um, every time they're in between jobs, they go home and they sort of, you know, they write. So that's why the juvenilia, they get that long period of time for the juvenilia is because they're sort of, they're working, things aren't working out. So then they go back home mm-hmm. and then they write a little bit and then they go back out and work again. So that's why their juvenilia kind of extends into their 20s. Um, during this period of her life, Charlotte received two proposals. Two? Two. Um, again, we're going to talk about this a little later because we are doing an episode that is just dedicated to the Brontes and Jane Austen's love life. So yeah, we will dig into that. But I bring this oh, up right can we now. Call it get laid versus get paid. 
Oh, yeah. Can we? Yeah. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, it's a yeah. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. We can do it. We're not academics. No. We're not, like, his serious historians I'm not with a Hannah deal K. with the BBC. We are just, like, on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just a couple of drunkos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had half a PBR tonight, so, you know. Lauren. Hmm. When do they get to Brussels? <laughs> All right, sorry. Because so, uh, anyone, anyone else notice that we're not actually in Brussels we're yet? We're not in Brussels yet. No. Okay. All right. I just want to say one thing. <laughs> it's just because um, I find this really interesting that she received these two proposals and she had an out. You know, she obviously yeah. she hates the teaching. She has an out. She decides not to take it. And it's not like these proposals are from dudes that are horrible. Too. Like one, it's one is a very viable option. Mm-hmm. So, but she's like, nope, nope, no. I'm gonna continue on. She's not gonna do it. She's not gonna do it. I'm not gonna marry you, Robert Sally. I don't care how many letters you write me. So, um, they're in their early 20s, they're back at the parsonage, and they fucking hate their lives. And the girls decide, okay, maybe here's a way we can make this tolerable. We will open up our own school. Mm-hmm. And then Charlotte and Anne will teach and Emily will be a housekeeper because that's the only thing she wants to do. She doesn't want to talk to anyone. She just wants to make bread and play with the dogs. And I respect the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is, you know, a great chance for them to sort of like run their own lives and for all three of them to be employed and work together and sort of do it on their own terms. Um. Then Charlotte starts, like, talking to her friends about this plan. And her friends are like, I don't know, Charlotte. Like, maybe you should come over to Brussels. Like, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Like, maybe you should study abroad a bit. Her friends who have maybe a little bit more money mm-hmm. and, like, you know, you know, it's not... So they don't quite get it. But she does get this into her head. And she's like, okay, well, I was already going to ask my aunt for some money to help me start this school, but maybe I should ask my aunt for money to go to Brussels. Um, one of the reasons also they decide to go to Brussels is that, well, her friend Mary Taylor is studying there with her sister, who I believe is named Martha Taylor. Um, and Brussels is a little bit cheaper than Paris, right? So like, you know, you would want like mm. a teacher that has like experience, you know, went to Paris for yeah. a finishing school. It's really... You know, it's really a big get, especially in Yorkshire. That's really, you know, prestigious. But she doesn't really have Paris money. She's got Brussels money. So um, her father, she approaches her father with this idea. And he's like, "Um, this is not really, not really right. Um, I think this is a little overly ambitious. But she convinces him by saying, you know, whoever rose in this world without ambition. So, um... And also, like, Patrick was a really ambitious man. So, I mean, I think he should have been on board from the get-go anyway. You know, he moved from Ireland to England to, you know, better himself. So My grandma did not like that. Not my gr- my grandma. She might listen to this. My Omar, my maternal grandmother, did not like that mm. I went to China. But, like, she hitchhiked all over Europe a few years after the Second World War. So, oh. like... What's that about? That's... Do you know? Yeah. Well, maybe I should have said to her, whoever rose in this world without ambition and then got some money off her. Yeah, yeah. Throwing it right back in her face. Um, 
so, you know, Charlotte, obviously, she convinces him that schooling in Brussels is going to, like, set her apart from, you know, everyone else in Yorkshire, and that she's going to get a bunch of students, and that it's going to be great. Um, and he's like, all right, okay, fine. So the program was uh, six months, but she had a secret plan, which was <laughs> that she was not going to return anytime soon. She was going to find employment abroad, and she was going to stay abroad. Um... Here is something, and this is this is kind of why I talked about like how we got to Brussels before I actually came to Brussels. Mm-hmm. This is because, I, who do you think goes with her to Brussels? Uh, Anne, because she like enjoyed going to school and she has like a better time, and she like actually wants to she's teach people. Got, like, yeah, she's like she's got a medal. They both got medals. They both got medals. Yeah, but it is Emily that goes to Brussels. What's Anne gone? She like what was she busy doing that week? It's weird, right? I mean, Anne does technically have a job, okay? okay? She does. But I mean, Emily has never been away from home for more than 3 months. Like <laughs> she every time she leaves the moors, she gets so sick she might die. Well, good for her. But yeah, I do this is I find really interesting about Emily. So Emily's like, "Okay, I'm going to go." Um even though I don't speak any French <laughs> or German or Latin. I don't know anything, really. She uh, can't spit any rhymes. She cannot spit rhymes. Well, I mean, she can spit them in like in an Irish accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she goes. Um, Emily, Charlotte, Mary Taylor and their fathers leave for Brussels uh, February 8th, 1842. Did the dads go as well? Hmm? Did the dads go with them? The dads went with them to like see them, see them off, and nice. see yeah, make sure they were settled and everything. Like a, like cheeky holiday. Yeah, he does kind of use it a little bit like a cheeky holiday because actually I think they stop in London beforehand, mm-hmm. and then he like wants to like just stay like with all of his old friends, mm-hmm. and like they are not like even staying in a proper place for like young ladies. Like, they're just like, he's like, oh, I just want to reconnect with all my old friends. That's totally something my dad would do. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway. But, yeah, he, they, all the dads go. They chaperone them. It's, um, it's a good time. So, Charlotte and Emily cannot afford to go to Mary Taylor School. Okay. Not enough money. So, instead, they go to a place I cannot pronounce. Um. Pensionat. Pensionat Eje. I think. We know I have a a history of bad French on this podcast. Um, I'm pretty sure pensionat is like (laughs) butchering it. (laughs) Pensionat Hedger. Hedger. Pensionat Hedger. (laughs) Pensionat Hedger. So Madame Hedger was 38 years old and she was the director of the school. And then she had this husband, Constantine, who was 33. Oh. Okay. That's only five years. And he's a teacher at the school. Oh. So they lived on the school grounds with their three children. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Um, the curriculum at the school is French, history, mathematics, geography, sculpture, needlework, music. It's all it's all the things, right? All the yeah. things for your your dream governess. Um, it's a there's it's a there's forty day pupils. And then there's like 12 boarders. So then Emily and Charlotte are two of the boarders. Um, again, you know, Charlotte has this experience at school along with Emily where they stand out right away. Okay. It's a Catholic school. 
So remember, these gals, these gals are not Catholic. Um, but the director like agreed to let them sit out at mass, but it's still like, it just, it physically sets them apart. Um, the school is also for Belgian girls. So they're like the only English gals there. Mary Taylor school was actually full of English and German students, but yeah. Um, Emily and Charlotte, again, the only English girls there. And they're the only girls that were like, French is not their first language. And at 23 and 24, they're like much older than everyone else. So it's yeah. just like a really awkward situation. Um, despite all of this, they really, really thrived at the school. Um, they definitely decided to play by like reality show rules. They're just like, we're not here to make friends. We are here to work. And we're here to be the best students at the school. So that yeah. would be their like little clip. Like they would snap around to the camera and be like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to be the best education. Exactly. And then, and, uh, not Anne, Emily's like, I'm here to punch dogs. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so they are super dedicated and they're super intense. And because of this, um, Professor AJ Constantine, like he kind of he specialized in like literature and um you know and french and all the things that the girls were like super in interested in um he singled these gals out for private instruction <laughs> what is this where Your is face. this where i think this is going uh, okay well, well we'll just see won't we yeah unless yeah. it doesn't in which case wow no, no, it's going places. Oh, cool. <laughs> so <good>. popcorn. <laughs> he would read to them these like passages from like these great French works, right? I bet he stood in front of the fireplace just oh, reading his time, dude. And he just like posed with like yeah. a book in one hand and then like just like his like yeah. hand, hand on his, his shoulder yeah. and just like he was just like, yeah. Just I bet moving sometimes, around. Sometimes he'd stop and just be like, oh, I just I just I think this piece is really powerful. <laughs> yeah, I think he was also like the ultimate mansplainer. I don't think you'll know this one. <laughs> it's in French. <laughs> and Emily's like, you're right. I don't know a single word of French. <laughs> um, so he's just like reading to you, to the girls, these passages. And then they were like supposed to analyze them. And then he would say like, write, you know, a composition sort of inspired by like what we've just talked about. Um, so it was basically just like a writing boot camp. Um, he told Charlotte to sacrifice without pity everything that does not contribute to clarity. So something that she really needed in the secret, basically. Right. So, yeah, true. I think she actually did take this to heart because she learns to edit. Um, he was also a very harsh critic and he would often bring Charlotte to tears with his uh, critiques of her work. Oh. Um, he didn't bring Emily to tears, though. Not at all. Um, she pretty much just ignored him and did whatever she wanted to do. And also she just learned French immediately. Like she studied day and night. And until she just knew it. Yeah, until she knew it. And German and just everything. She mm -hmm. just like immediately picked up. She was a genius. She was like, she absolutely could have done Rowhead probably in like six months and gotten all of the medals. She just didn't want to. <laughs> so um, he gave Emily a lot of freedom. Actually, he gave her more freedom than he gave any of his other students because he felt that her mind was exceptional. He said that Emily had a head for logic that was rare in a woman. Oh. 
and that she should have been a man. She was a great navigator. And he thought, like, if she had been a man, she would have been, like, the greatest man. The greatest man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was just, like, all about Emily. He thought she was a genius. So she really flourished, like, in her own way in Brussels. Mm. So this is, this I really like. Um, She made one friend. She didn't really speak to anyone. Didn't speak French, guys. (laughs) Wasn't interested. Um, She didn't make any attempts to sort of, like, fit in, unlike Charlotte, who is a lot more self-conscious than her sisters. Um, So my favorite example of this is the clothing. So Charlotte started sort of taking notice of what all the other girls were wearing and tailoring her clothes, you know, and wearing more fashionable designs. But Emily kept all of her homemade clothes that Mm -hmm. were just completely outdated and just had like puffed up sleeves. And when Charlotte like tried to sit her down and have a talk about it, like, hey, maybe we should try to fit in and wear better clothes and blah, blah, blah. Like Emily just like just brushed her off and was just like, I wish to be as God made me. That's it. That's it. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At the end of the six month term, AJ asked the Brontes, (laughs) Constantine, um, asked the sisters to stay on for another six months as teachers. So... Charlotte was thrilled because that had been her evil plan all along. Um, she said yes. And Charlotte ended up teaching English and Emily taught music, which I find kind of interesting. Um, her pupils didn't like her, though, because yeah, she was Emily Bronte. She's like a lot. <laughs> she's a lot. Like, people, I do, like, you know, people have dug up letters, like, uh, from these students that, mm-hmm. like, have been complaining, like, just complaining about her. Like, because she would also schedule, like music lessons during like their off times <laughs> like like i don't care if it's your lunch hour like who needs to eat you yeah. should study so um yeah she was kind of a bit of a boner killer but um you know i would say like she was kind of coming out of her shell a little bit during this time and the um aj's really were invested in her her talent and they were actually also getting her lessons from like some of the best you know teachers music teachers in belgium so yeah Emily Bronte, musical genius. Who knew? Who knew? She she should have. Uh, she was, you know. Uh, she should have been a man. Should have been a man. Should have been a man. Um. So yeah. Uh. This kind of period of happiness is actually interrupted by a series of unfortunate deaths. Oh. I know. Oh, like yeah, Jane Austen. Just like Jane Austen. Oh. I know. So they received this letter. That their father's curate, William Waitman, has passed, which is really upsetting. And again, there'll be another episode when we talk about why. Um, Then Martha Taylor, who is uh, their friend in Brussels and sister of Mary Taylor, uh, also passes away. And then um, most, you know, importantly, their aunt Elizabeth passes away. So Elizabeth is the aunt to their mother's sister who had come up from uh, Cornwall, I believe, to kind of take care of them after their Mm -hmm. mother died. And she was particularly close to Branwell. And Branwell was devastated. Oh. (laughs) I know. Did he write poetry? He, I think, took opium instead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Branwell. I know, Branwell. So um, the family all reconvened in Haworth uh, after the funeral. Uh, The girls got there a little late. I think they had already uh, buried Elizabeth by the time they got there. Elizabeth left the girls all a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. Um. 
she did not leave any to Branwell, though, because she's like, you're a man. Oh you should be God. able to support yourself. Good for her. That's so good. Yeah. And he, I, I think he was a bit salty about this because also he was like home with her while she was dying. Oh. And like, yeah. And I think he was She's just not like, wrong, though. She's not. She's not. The girls needed the money. Um, so Charlotte's like, okay, I got this money. Can't wait to get back to Brussels. Um, especially after Constantine had kind of sent a letter to Patrick, uh, telling the, telling him like how invaluable the girls were, how talented they were, how amazing, how he loved their company, how Emily should have been a man. Um, and yeah, so like, you know, Charlotte's like, I got to go back. See, I'm needed. I'm needed here. Um, Emily, however, is back home and she's kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of did it. I did it. It's, you know, it's a thing. Um, so Charlotte decides to go back mm-hmm. and she goes back unescorted. Scandalous. 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 And if you read Villette, that is I've read heavily, heavily detailed in there. Yeah. Lucy Snow, how she goes to Brothel. Yeah, she goes she just, yeah, unescorted. And yeah. everyone is so shocked by it. Yeah. And it's, it's very um, similar to Charlotte's journey. back so yeah she um is like no i'm going back to brussels so um she goes back to brussels she's earning a salary of 16 pounds per year and she's also living with constantine and his wife and their kids um she's not overworked okay okay so she's she's used to working a lot of hours at rowhead and being very involved um she's not super overworked and she finds herself really lonely without Emily and uh, Mary, who actually ends up leaving Brussels and going to Germany to uh, teach in an all-boys school, which was very scandalous. That was extra scandalous. Extra scandalous. And she actually approaches Charlotte, too, about it. She's like, why don't you come with me to Germany teaching the school? And Charlotte's like, voice? <laughs> no way. Um... But also the reason that she doesn't go is because she is all about Constantine. Yes. And we don't really know what happened there. Right. Okay. We know that they have this super intense relationship. Mm -hmm. We know they have these private writing lessons, which I believe when she comes back, those continue. Um, But yeah, we'll talk about this more in depth later. I don't like the way that history t- treats this, too, mm-hmm. because, you know, people do write it off like, oh, well, she was just a silly young girl and she, you know, yeah. she fell in love. But I do think that, um, you know, this is the first real intense relationship she's had with a man who also is is encouraging her writing. Yeah. And, you know, really seeing into the deepest parts of her soul, really. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I can see how this, you know, how this kind of got out of control. Um, whatever the relationship, it it ends up not satisfying, you know, Charlotte, who slips into this great depression, which of course, like she's living with this man and his wife and their three children and she's alone in Brussels and it it just, yeah, it's a bad scene. And so she's writing home, like, I'm depressed. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, also like so many of her like friends left Brussels. It just was like a bad situation. And then um, Madame AJ just starts, I don't know, keeping an eye out on her. Yeah. So it's it's a bad situation. And she's like, you know what? Okay. I've got to go home. To go. Time to go home. And when she goes home to Haworth, this is when shit gets real. Um, 
But yeah, I think she, it really, she goes home to Howarth and she's like, okay, guys, new plan. New plan. Yeah. And that's, that's another episode. That's a new episode. Wow. So yeah, so yeah that's it. Hold on to your hats. Hold on to your hats. Cause shit is about to get real with Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters. It's about to get reality TV real. It is. Not here to make friends, bitches. Jane Austen had lots of friends. Yeah. Well, Emily Bronte had one. <laughs> the dog. <laughs> then she punched it and then they never talked again. To be fair, she had a second dog named Flossie and she never punched Flossie. Never. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah. So uh, that's it for this week. That's it for this week, guys. Don't forget, you can find us as always on Twitter and Instagram at Bonnets at Dawn. You can hashtag us at Austin vs. Bronte and Wretched Bondage. And I'm just trying to think of all of the really good ones. Justice for Statham. Yeah. Justice for Jason. Justice for Jason. Do He's both. The obvious one because it's called the two J's. And I, and I don't know if he is on Twitter, but just loop him in. Yeah. Let's just, just loop him in on every Jane Austen related thing. And I just think maybe he'll, he'll appreciate that. I wonder he if he's Team Austin or Team Bronte. Ooh, I would love to know. Let's write. Let's find out. Let's write him a letter, let's Everyone, guys. mom, the other two, let's all tweet at him. Let's all My mom doesn't it. have Twitter. Oh, yeah. My mom does. She uses it like once a year. Well, there we have more than me. Yeah. There we go. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. And uh, we'll talk at you next week. Bye. Bye.